Well, thanks. I'm so glad when Eddie leaves town so I can... No, I'm just kidding. I was just kidding. I didn't mean it that way. No, I, I'm uh, grateful for him, and he's so gracious to invite me to speak from time to time. And, and I, I love our church. I was just sitting there thinking, we have a great church. You know, I don't know if it's the best church in the whole world, but it, but it, it's just a good one. It's just good. Good people, great worship. I love our worship. Uh, and just, just fun staff and, and Eddie, Pastor Eddie, just, I think one of the finest pastor preachers I've ever heard. We just have a good, good church. And, uh, I guess, you know, you can go to other churches and probably feel good about them, but you'd be wrong. That, that, uh, no, I don't know. And, and I'm just thankful for our church. I just really am. And, uh, 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 when I was young and pastoring, my kids were uh, young. Sometimes Josh or Jacob would say, Daddy, are you going to say anything before you preach? <laughs> Which kind of implies once you start preaching, you're not going to say anything. So are you going to say anything before? But uh, just in the midst of all that, I don't know. It's just on my mind. So I get to say it. When you preach, you can say it. But I, I appreciate Wayne and Lana. Uh, I really do. They just give their hearts to bringing great worship to us. And so I was thinking, you know, a lot of times when you're in ministry, if you're the, if you're, if the husband is the paid staff member or the wife is the paid staff member, it's just kind of expected that you get the other one for free, you know, and, uh, and that's not always good, but it, but it's just, and, and we, we get Lana for free and that just, that's just neat. And they just contribute so much. I'm grateful for it. Grateful for them. So, well, uh, this is the time of the year when a lot of us began uh, the first of the year began reading the Bible through again. Uh, something I've enjoyed doing for the last decade or so, uh, and I, I, I this is just a fun thing. And I would really encourage you, especially younger dads, to think about this. I I start with a, a new Bible every year. And I will read through it and, and mark it with one of my kids in mind, or now one of my grandkids. And I just and I underline, I mark, just kind of with them in mind. And, and then at the end of the year, I don't, I don't give it to them. I've got them stacked up uh, because when I die, they're, that's all they're getting. They're not getting anything else. So at least they'll be that. And uh, I know they'll be thumbing through it thinking I left a $100 bill in there somewhere. I didn't. But uh, but it's just a it's a neat thing to do, and so I I uh, I don't I don't know when, but I look forward to that time when we I give the kids or Doris I guess gives the kids those Bibles, um, or if Doris is gone, some young hot chick will give the kids the Bible. I don't know. <laughs> the problem is when I start talking, I just get carried away. It just goes. Um, this is the time of the year we uh, read through the Bible, and so if you're like me. Not long ago, a few weeks ago, you finished up Genesis. Now you're somewhere in Exodus probably. And in uh, and, and another few weeks, we'll be in Leviticus. And we'll pray that Jesus comes quickly so we don't have to read Leviticus again. If I ever read about boils and sores again, I'd be, I don't want... But uh, So I thought I would just kind of go back to where we were a couple of weeks ago. Maybe a lot of us were there. And I'd like to remind you of a story that's found in the last 16 chapters or so of the book of Genesis. And it's the story of the life of Joseph. 
So I just want to talk to you about lessons from the life of Joseph. Some things that we just read, they were kind of fresh on our mind. And so it seemed like when Pastor Eddie said, would you speak? This, this is kind of what came to my mind. Um, I need to get you to help me, if it's okay. We're going to try something. Uh, let's see how this works. Uh, I want to tell you a story. And, and, there, and sometimes things in stories are good. And so I'm going to do this, and I want you to join me. I'm going to say, that's good. And, and when I do that, I want you to do that. Just All right, let's do it right now. Let's try. You ready? That's good. Say that. Oh, let's try it one more time. That's good. Good. Now, sometimes they won't be good. And we'll say, that's bad. Yeah, it's not rocket science. It's just this or this. There'll be none of this. Just this or this. That's good. That's bad. One more time. You ready? Good. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you did great. Okay, here's the story. God gave Jacob a son, Joseph. And Jacob loved his son so much. He loved his son so very, very, very much. Loved him more than anything in the whole world. Well, actually, that's bad because he had 11 other sons and Jacob loved Joseph so much that the other sons became very, very jealous of their brother, Joseph. Well, no, actually, that's good because Joseph used that to cause Jacob to have or Joseph to have a dream. God used that to cause Joseph to have a dream. And Joseph had this wonderful dream about all the brothers and all the people bowing down before him. And God was saying to Joseph that one day you will be a great ruler. No, that's bad. Because, you see, when he told his brothers that dream, they got so angry, they decided they were going to kill him. No, that's good because God used that for Reuben to step up and do the courageous thing and say, no, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. And so they took Joseph and they threw him down in a pit. And Reuben said he will secretly come back and save him. No, that's bad because he was gone. And while he was gone, some slave traders came by. They, the other brothers took Joseph out of the pit and they sold him human trafficking. They sold him to these slave traders. No, that's a good thing. Yeah, you're getting the hang of it now. They sold him to these slave traders. Somebody always steals your punchline. That's the problem. Uh, and uh, the, the slave traders took him to Egypt where he became a, a guy by the name of Potiphar, who was very wealthy, took Joseph in and made Joseph over all of his household. And Joseph got to be in charge of the household of this very, very wealthy man. Yeah, that's bad because Potiphar had a wife who was evil. She tried to seduce Joseph and then she lied about him. And Joseph ended up thrown in prison. No, that is bad because he was thrown in prison. And uh, that's not fun to be in prison. So uh, that's the end of the sermon. Thank you for... No. So Joseph is thrown in prison. But while he is there, he finds two friends. He makes friends with these two guys. And they bring dreams to him. And Joseph interprets their dreams. 
Well, that's good and bad because one of them was good and one of them turned out not so good. Uh, the one that was good ended up being a servant in, in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh was the ruler of all of Egypt. And he said to Joseph, when I get back, I will get you out of prison. Oh, that's bad because he forgot and uh, he was actually another couple of years went by. And then he remembered because Pharaoh had a dream and Pharaoh talked to the servant. The servant told him about Joseph. He invited Joseph to come in. Joseph interpreted the dream and Joseph got out of prison and got to be a ruler in the land of Egypt. Well, yeah, that's good. Well, that's kind of. Well, that's good and bad because the reason he became a ruler was there was a terrible famine that was coming across the whole land. And that's good because uh, God used the famine to bring Israel, the children of Israel, into Egypt. And, and Joseph was able, out of his position and what he had been through, he was able to bring salvation not only to Egypt, but to all of Israel as well. That's good. That's very, very good. And you did a good job. So what are the lessons? What are some things that we would learn from that story that we all know? Well, here's the first and most obvious lesson. It's hard to tell bad circumstances from good circumstances when we are right in the middle of them. When we are when we're right in the thick of things, when the stuff is just all around us, it's hard really to know if that's good or bad. And we struggle with that. If if that lesson is true in the Bible at all, it is especially true in this story. Joseph is the very epitome of a difficult time in reading circumstances. Joseph is up and down and in and out. He's on the top. He's on the bottom. Good things are happening. Bad things are happening. He's winning and losing. And right about the time we think we have this figured out, God is doing this thing. We find out that God is actually doing this thing. And we just can't see what's going on because we are so close to the circumstances. Does that has that ever happened in your life? I, I, there's an old saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. It means you are so right in the thick of things, so caught up with what's going on that you can't step back and see the big picture. When I was uh, 14, this is true confession. I've never I don't think I've ever told this story. When I was 14, I was traveling with a, a youth choir for the summer. And we did about three weeks traveling around in the state of South Carolina in different churches. And, uh, you know, it was about the time when I was really kind of having my first girlfriend, you know, and really, you know, that, thinking that, that kind of thing. And so I was, we were staying. They would, they would just put you with a couple of kids would stay in people's homes. And so I was staying with Mike Mort. Mike Mort was a great guitar player. He was a senior in high school. So he's about 18. I'm about 14. And they and they put us in a room together, a double bed, said, you guys are going to sleep in here. So Mike Mort and I are sleeping together in that bed. And I woke up in the middle of the night and i got my arm around him and my shoulder is I'm, I'm laying on his shoulder and I'm just holding him just like that. And, you know, that moment when you're wide awake and you're thinking that's bad. I, this is not <laughs> this is not exact. And I was I was praying, oh, God. 
either please let him stay asleep or just kill him dead right now. Either one. I don't care either one. And I just very carefully just pulled my arm out and got over on my side of the bed and went back to sleep. His breathing never changed. I thought, thank you, Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, and then the next morning went down. All the kids were together. Mike Mort's down there eating cereal. He never looks up. I sat at the table. He said, good morning, sweetheart. I said, oh, oh man. Oh. Sometimes you are just so close to the thing that it's hard to see the big picture of what's really going on there. I don't know why that is, but I think we just get caught up in our circumstances And we have a difficult time recognizing that it's possible that God is trying to do something in the midst of those circumstances. Here's a couple of examples of when that happened. Uh, Sometime before 1492, everybody believed that the world was flat. I mean, you could only see as far as the horizon and they just assumed when you got to the horizon, you just fell off the edge. And then in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and we found out that the world was not flat. It was we were so close to the circumstances we couldn't see. Here's one more recent history. June 25th, 1876, a guy by the name of Lieutenant Colonel George Custard saw a small band of Lakota Indians just across the hillside. And he said, we're going to get up early in the morning and we're going to surprise them and we're going to raid this village and we're going to teach them a lesson. And he and his band at Little Bighorn rode across the hillside. And when they got across it, they realized it wasn't just a little village. It was about five Indian nations all together. And Custer did his famous last stand. And that's where Custer comes from. That, I, don't, I just made that part up. I don't know. And then here's one real recent history. April 2018. Nine teams in the NFL thought Patrick Mahomes would be a bad choice and they passed on him until the Kansas City Chiefs took him as their quarterback in the, that he was the 10th pick. By the way, the Tennessee Titans were one of the teams that passed on him. Uh, they just were so close to the Have you ever made those kinds of choices, those kind of decisions? When I'm so close to what's going on, I can't step back and see what would really be the best thing to do. It's difficult to tell if that's good or that's bad when I'm in the midst of all of it. In Romans 8, 28, Paul says, And we know that all things work together. uh, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him who have been called according to his purpose. I know that's true. I believe that's true. But I have to tell you, when I'm in the middle of my circumstances, it doesn't feel that way. And I just start making choices and decisions based on the circumstances instead of the big picture of knowing that God is ultimately in control of this and everything is going to be okay. There are some reasons for that. There's what we call in counseling decision fatigue. We began to make so many choices and so many decisions that we finally just get worn out and we're not able to do that very coherently. You know, studies tell us you will make 2,000 decisions every day. We make 2,000 decisions every day. And since Valentine's Day is coming up, men, let me tell you, here's the best decision you can make. Do I say yes, dear, or 
what do you want me to say, dear? That's the, those two decisions. That, that, we get tired of making decisions. It's difficult to do. Another is constant distraction. There are, we get about five times more information on any given topic now than we did just 20 years ago. Five times more information. And so I'm constantly distracted. I walk in, you walk into a restaurant and you see every person there on their phone and they're, and they're, we're so distracted. It's difficult to step back and see what God is doing. Emotional bias. We, as human beings, we are more prone to follow our feelings than to follow the facts. Our emotions get the best of us. We get caught up in that. And I would rather trust what I feel and, and what I think is going on than what I know to be true. We, we get more caught up in that. And so Paul says to us, we believe not in what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And I know that. And I believe, but sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. And so I'm trying to learn that the great lesson out of this is that I cannot trust my circumstances. I do not trust my circumstances. I trust the God that is in charge of the circumstances. And so one little lady said, how are you feeling? I said, well, I'm feeling okay under the circumstances. And she said, well, what are you doing under the circumstances? You should be on top of the circumstances. Cannot trust your circumstances. Here's the second thing. Sometimes bad people can do good things and good people can do bad things and all people can do stupid things. That's just sometimes bad people can do good things and good people can do bad things and all people can do good things. Have you just known people that you just think that is that is the worst person in the world. Nothing good could ever come out of that person. And then they just shock you and do something that is so noble and so honorable. And you think, wow. I didn't see that coming. And then, you know, good people that you've trusted, that you believe in. And all of a sudden you read the newspaper or somebody calls you or post on Facebook. They did the most horrific thing. And you think, how in the world could they do that? Or there's people that are just good, bright people and they just do dumb stuff. And you think, where in the world did that come from? Listen, I believe that about every one of you here. And I especially believe that about me. I am I am perfectly capable capable of making some of the stupidest choices and saying the most inappropriate thing at the wrong time. We all are capable of doing good and bad things. Jacob is a deceiver, but he becomes Israel, the father of God's people. The brothers are bad. They try to kill Joseph. But then later on in the story, they offer themselves as sacrifices to save Benjamin, their baby brother. Potiphar really is a good guy. He takes Joseph in. He gives him the wealth of his home. But Potiphar's wife, not so much. And Potiphar believes his wife instead of Joseph. And he makes a really bad choice and throws Joseph in jail. Pharaoh, all of the Pharaohs are bad guys. They set themselves up as God, so they're bad guys. But God uses Pharaoh to rescue Joseph, to rescue Egypt, and to rescue all of Israel. We are all capable of good and bad moments. We all have it within us to make good choices and to make bad choices. And to be honest, it's difficult to trust ourselves sometimes and to trust other people when those choices are being made. 
Here's some reasons. The compensation effect. We have this general idea that if I do enough good stuff, it will outweigh the bad stuff. And we and while we never actually say that, we kind of we that's kind of built into us to think that there's this compensatory thing that's taking place. And as long as my good outweighs my bad, then I can make a few really dumb choices and I'll get away with it and I'll be okay. There's also the power of names. We call things by a different name and it makes it easier for us to do something really dumb. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have ever fudged on your income tax? How many of you have ever told a little white lie? Those things are not really that bad. You know, when we use those kinds of words, they're not that bad. How many of you are low-down, dirty cheaters? How many of you are stinking liars? Yeah, see, it depends on the word that you use. And when we, and when we use those those kinds of names, then it makes it easier for it's why it's so important for us to call sin, sin and not to let the world dictate the language that we use when we're talking about what's right and wrong. Cognitive dissonance. I know I'm good. I know I'm a good person, even though I'm doing these really bad things. It makes no sense cognitively. It just clashes. But I know I'm a, I'm a good. I, I said this in the first service. I hope I didn't offend anybody. <clears throat> I like Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey is just a funny guy. He just, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know about him, like his stand. He's just a funny guy. I just like Steve Harvey. I've heard him do a little bit where he introduces Jesus. Have you ever seen that? Man, it's powerful. I mean, you're crying. You're in tears. As Steve Harvey is saying, if I were introducing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, here's how I would introduce him. And he has this entire audience absolutely on their feet, screaming at the name of Jesus and how wonderful Jesus is. One time I saw that in the context of the entire show. His show was filthy. It is, it is profane. It's full of profanity. It's awful. It's awful. But we have this, you know, I, oh, I know he's still a good guy. He just, he's a good guy. You know, he just did that. We do that with ourselves. I can make some of the most horrendous choices, but I still convince him. I know I'm a good person. It's. It's just not the way it is, but we have done that so that we, good people, can do bad things or excusing bad people who do bad things. So, what do we do about that? Well, let me just, I, I stuck this in here, so let me go ahead and say it. One more is the delusion of power. I'm in control, I'm in charge, I've got power, might makes right. The end justifies the mean. I know what's best. I am not a, I, I fight to not make political statements, to kind of, I'm, I'm involved, but to stay outside of that publicly, outside of that arena. But, but let me just say, it doesn't matter what party you are connected with. That is absolutely the course of the day. We, we have people who are on either side, because they're in charge, doing some of the most unbelievably horrible things, but because they're in power, we just kind of, they say, well, okay, that good people can do really, really bad things. And sometimes bad people can do good things. And all of that says to me that you can't trust your circumstances and you can't trust people.
you can't just put your faith and your trust in people. We need to recognize our moral depravity. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to understand the sin nature. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I know that nothing good in lives me, that is in my sinful nature, for I desire what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. There is something in me that, given a choice, will make the wrong decision rather than the right decision. And then we need to admit to spiritual foolishness. In Romans chapter 1, Paul describes the Romans by saying, For although they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. In this fallen world in which we live, we need to understand that we are not intrinsically good, that we don't naturally make the best choices, that it is not our nature to be kind and nice people, that we are fallen, fallen people. And apart from God making a change in our lives, it's certainly possible for good people to do bad things and sometimes for bad people to surprise us and do good things. Galatians 2.20 says, Our only hope is that Christ lives in us. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, here are the lessons I'm getting out of the life of Joseph. I cannot trust my circumstances. I cannot trust other people. The writer of Hebrews says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then here's the third thing. I can't even trust myself. God's ways are not our ways. And our ways get in the way of God's ways. But God's way will not happen, will will always happen anyway. God's ways are not our ways. Our ways get in the way of God's way. But God's way will always happen anyway. Up to this point, if you've been reading through the Bible, up to this point, Scripture has been a litany of people who have made really bad choices trying to help God out by doing things their way rather than doing things God's way. God says to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a son. He's going to be the father of all nations. It's not happening fast enough. So Sarah says, take my servant Haggai. And Abraham takes Haggai. He has a son by Haggai, Ishmael. And all of the struggle for the last 2,000 years in the Middle East, last 4,000 years in the Middle East, has come because of this Abraham trying to help God out and doing it his way rather than God's way. And all that's going on in the Middle East is the sons of Ishmael fighting with the sons of, of Isaac. It's been, it's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, Rebecca and Jacob, they say, you know, we're going to make sure that we get Isaac's blessing for Jacob. Rebecca is Isaac's wife, Jacob's mother. Uh, we're going to make sure that we get the blessing. And so they go behind Isaac's back and they, they trick Esau. And, and they, remember, send Esau off to get food while Jacob fixes fix his food, puts skin on it and goes in. You remember that story? And, and then... Uh, they, they try to bamboozle Isaac and get the blessing and the birthright from him, trying to make God's plan work for them and circumvent what God's trying to do by doing it their own way. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, 
the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's Esau's children, the Moabites. It's Esau's children that are a thorn in the flesh for Israel's children from then on. We try to help God out by doing things our way, and we end up getting in the way of God. But ultimately, God's way always happens anyway. So I I learned not even to trust my own devices. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. My thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Do you mean that God is smarter than me? Do you mean that God makes better choices than me? Do you mean that God's ways are better than my ways? Well, yes, because God uses divine delays. I, I, you know, God always answers prayer, just not today. Uh, when my kids were little, uh, they would say, Daddy, I never told my sons no. I would never tell them no. Josh would say, Josh is about 12. He said, Daddy... Can I get a motorcycle? And I said, yes, absolutely. Yes, you can get a motorcycle. He said, really? Right now? I said, oh, no, not right now. When you're 30 years old, you got your own job and you're living in your own house. Get a motorcycle. Yes, you get one right now, I'll kill you. But but no, you can. Yes. God doesn't do things on our timetable. And sometimes he uses divine delays to mold us and shape us and refine us and help us to be the people that he wants us to be. So God says to Joseph, interpret this dream for these guys and I'll get you out of jail. And Joseph Joseph interprets the dreams and God gets him out of jail. It's just that it takes a couple of years because God knows exactly the right time. What if Joseph had gotten out of jail when the when the cupbearer got out of jail well he'd have gone back to his family perhaps he wouldn't have been there when the famine took place god knew i know exactly the time i need this to happen and so god uses divine delays sometimes god uses holy variety he does things in a different way listen let me i don't often make just absolute blanket statements but let me make a blanket statement if you have god all figured out then your God is not big enough to run the universe. Any God that you any God that you fully have figured out is just way too small. God does things in different ways. God delights in keeping us guessing. You remember uh, Jericho? Joshua uh, took uh, the children of Israel. They're gonna they're gonna overthrow Jericho. God said, "I got a great plan. Here's what we're gonna do: get all the worship band, and I want you to go walk around the city." And blow the trumpets. I want you to do that for seven days. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. And when you blow the trumpet, the walls will come tumbling down. You'll overthrow the city. It'll be a great story. They're going to write a song about it. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And it works. And Joseph said, this is so cool. And in the next chapter, they go to Ai, another city. We got to fight this battle. Joseph, or, or, uh, Joshua says, hey, don't worry. I got a great plan. Get the worship band up here. And God says, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it a different way. You get a lot of big guys and put them behind the city. And then you take the little guys and go knock on the front door. When they open the front door, you call them names and you turn around. And you take off running as fast as you can. It's in there. Just read it. And he calls them names. 
and they come running out and they're chasing the little guys. And when they come out, then the big guys come around from the city and beat the daylights out of them and they take over the city. And God does things in different ways. God always answers prayer. He just doesn't always answer prayer the same way. And that's on purpose because that holy variety keeps us dependent upon him. God uses divine delays and holy variety and God uses sanctified suffering. I don't know how many times I've spoken at this church, but you should know by now I only have one sermon. <laughs> I just have one sermon. I preach it over and over and over again. And it's this sermon that God can take the difficult, hard things that you have been through and bless them and use them. That God uses our pain and our suffering both for his glory and for your good. God uses sanctified suffering. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. If Joseph had never been put in the pit, he wouldn't have got thrown in prison. And if he hadn't been thrown in prison, he'd have never made it to the palace. And God is a master of taking those hard and difficult things that we are going through and we're so close to them that we can't see and we're overwhelmed by them and people are hurting us and wounding us and we're right in the middle of it and we can't figure it out. And God is a master of saying, hey, I, I got this and I'm going to do something with this that is amazing if you will just trust me and not try to do it your own way. And not try to get in my way by handling it the way you want to handle it. We cannot trust our circumstances. We cannot trust other people. And we cannot trust ourselves. And that's why the, the writer of wisdom says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. So, if you can't trust your circumstances and you cannot trust other people and you cannot trust yourself, you better trust God. That's the lesson from the life of Joseph, that you just better put yourself in the hands of God rather than trying to figure it out yourself or let other people do it for you or look at your circumstances to decide what's going on. Here's maybe one of the most uh, off-quoted Old Testament passages, but it's just a great one. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to bless you and prosper you. Plans to, plans to prosper you. Plans to bless you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Your circumstances will overwhelm you and drag you under. If they haven't, I promise you they will. Aren't you glad you came today? Your circumstances will overwhelm you and drag you under. But God is bigger than your circumstances. People will hurt you, harm you, and head you in the wrong direction if you let them. But God is better than any person you will ever encounter. And you can't even trust your own plans left to your own devices. You'll foul up and fall down, and fail time and time again. But God is brighter than you are. And when we trust Him and not that stuff, He always comes through. Our message comes from our messes. Our testimony comes from our test. 
Our victory comes from our battles. And everything, everything, everything that everybody else throws our way that we just get caught up in, God's got that. And He can be trusted to do what's best and right for you always. Isn't that true? Isn't that good? Well, let me tell you a, a, a real personal story. This is so, it's so deep and moving and emotional. But, oh, it's not, but it happened yesterday. So I'm going to tell you. Uh, most of you don't know this, but I am very accomplished. I am the assistant head coach to the 11 and 12 year old one goal basketball team commodore basketball team yes the assistant i'm right up there next to the brain trust my son josh is the brain trust and i'm right up there next i'm the assistant and my grandson john michael plays on that 11 and 12 year old one goal basketball yesterday one of our final games big game crosstown rival the buses media was there it was no, i'm just making that stuff up no it was a big game so we're there and it's and, it, and it's tough. It's a it's a dog fight, and we're 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 fighting. And finally, there are three seconds left in the game. Josh calls timeout, and he draws up a play. He says, "Okay, Jacoby, you're going to throw the ball in, and John Michael, you're going to be standing right at the corner of the half court line, right there, and and you're going to get the ball. Clock doesn't start until you touch it. John Michael, you've got time for about three bounces, and that's it." You got time for three dribbles, and then you got to shoot. And so play happens. Everybody's watching, throws the ball in. John Michael gets it. He takes about three bounces. He goes up. He throws it. And the second, Jacob, the second it left his fingers, I said, it's going in. It is going in. And he drained it. I mean, the crowd went wild. Fans came out. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people came storming the field. It was unbelievable. They just, yeah, they, they, it was in the new, it'll be in the newspapers. I'm sure it'll be in the newspapers. It was unbelievable. John Michael, who is very much like Josh, his father, and very much like his grandmother, Doris, very quiet, very shy, very reserved. He turns and comes. I mean, the buzzer goes off. It goes through the net. He turns and he comes flying at me. I'm sitting there at the corner. Well, I wasn't sitting, but I was standing there at the, at the bench. He comes flying at me. And I mean, I have never seen him like this. He, he is screaming. And he is, yeah! <laughs> Unbelievable. Pastor Wayne did such a great job with leading worship today. And I, every time I would try to close my eyes and worship Jesus, I just saw J John Michael's face. Yeah! I, I wouldn't take a million dollars for that scene that is imprinted on my mind. Of my grandson, 12 years old, flying at me. Yay! Poppy said yay! And here's the deal. I, for the life of me, I can't think of how that would have ever happened had Doris and I not gone through some of the most horrible things you can imagine 17 years ago. And, and, and me making some of the stupidest choices 
and people betraying us. And, and we went through this horrible, awful time and our, bar- our marriage just barely survived, but it did survive. And then we got closer to Josh and Jacob and, and then we moved to Murfreesboro and Josh met Jennifer and, and then John Michael was born and they raised him in a home and then Josh invites me to be the assistant to the head coach of the 12-year-old Commodores of One Goal Basketball. Yeah, I, for the life of me, I can't think how that memory would have got imprinted on my mind that I will carry until my very last breath had I not gone through all this stuff and circumstances back there. Do you you get that? And I think that's true for you. I think if you are in the middle of some of the darkest and deepest circumstances of your life, there is out there somewhere this kid coming at you. Yeah! Well, that might scare you to death. It might be something totally different. But there is that moment when you say, oh, yeah, God had this all along. And so Joseph says, well, what you meant to me for evil, God meant to me for good. And that's good. That's good.